The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. This story in my mind, um, I've, I've read, I've got a comic book about this story called The Gadarene. I've read countless books. I've tried to find every clip of every cheesy Jesus remake movie that has this story. And it's, it's imprinted on my mind. I've, I've listened to countless sermons on this story. And today it's going to be a little bit different. Instead of reading and unpacking, reading and unpacking, I'm going to retell the story, how it's formed together in my brain. And we'll just have the verses on the board, and I'll be referencing them. But we're not going to just simply read through them. You'll see what I mean in a second. Um, so everyone... Everyone go like this and reach into your imaginary popcorn bag. Get your imaginary buttered popcorn. Take a bite. Everyone get your imaginary Diet Coke, Coke Zero, not Pepsi, because Pepsi's of the devil. We're a Jesus-loving church. Take a sip. You can put your Coca-Cola products back down because Pepsi's nasty. Sands Mountain Dew. And uh, we're going to pray. We're going to jump in. If you're following along in your Bible, it's going to be in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And let's see what the Lord has for us. Father, I pray that you would ignite every creative brain cell that we have in our minds to not only see principles, Lord, because I think that we're so addicted to principles and to to paths that we sometimes miss and fly right by the person of Jesus. So I pray that today we would, in some heavenly semblance, some way, see, behold Jesus, to be able to taste and experience this story and to see how the the Savior loves us, the one that you sent for us, Father. I thank you. Bring it to life in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, they had They had just gone through the Sea of Galilee. If you remember, if you were here, there was the storm. Jesus said, let's go. And they went. And then the storm was flooding the boat. And they were toiling. And the waves were crashing in on this boat. And this wasn't a boat like you and I are on. This is not the Carnival cruise ship. This is a wooden boat. One that creaks with every step that you take. And the the disciples thought they were going to die. And Jesus was taking a nap because he does not worry about these things. And that was last week. This week's story picks up in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and you have to see it in the brain. And and I apologize for my brain a lot of the time, but I need you to understand that when we read the Bible, it's not just a book of dry stories, it's history of what happened. So we need to sometimes see things because we are a video culture. After the long night at sea, the disciples and Jesus pulled up, and it was an old rickety boat. It had been weathered, it had been patched, and the scene starts with the camera down low, and and it's daybreak now. They had gone through the sea at night, the storms had tossed the boat, and now in front of their ship, a sunrise was coming over a hill. And all we see from the camera's angle is the water coming up on the shore. It's not water like the east coast, it's water like the west coast, the best coast. And it's just gently coming onto the sand. And all we see from the camera angle is a wooden boat, an old wooden boat, rickety, had been weathered, had been beaten that night. And, and then the camera shows us one man's legs jump down, sandals that are leather. He needs a new pair. And you see the front of the boat getting dragged onto the sand. And then the camera widens out and we see this group of guys. These guys look like they have been through hell. Their beards 
have salt. Their clothes are drenched still. And Jesus is there. Looks exhausted and he looks tired as well, but there's something always calm about this presence. You know that it's Jesus, not because it's one of these corny movies from the 90s. It's not a bunch of guys wearing brown and then some guy with a mullet and a white thing and blue sash. That's not Jesus. This is real Jesus. This is Jesus with weathered hands, with dark hair, with a beard that is matted. This is a Jesus who is in his 30s in a time when people in their 30s had crow's feet because stuff that we put on our faces didn't exist. And they climb out of their boat. And as soon as they climb out of this boat, the camera pans around because we hear something in the, the surround sound. It's a shout from the hills. And in these hills where they had landed, you see there's pockets of tombs and death scattered throughout. And a scream comes from the top. What are you doing here? And all of a sudden, the camera whips around, and the disciples are there with Jesus. You know that moment when a kid gets scared and he jumps behind dad? The disciples did that, but with Jesus. And then the camera moves, and it zooms in. One of those, those scenes that you see in some of the action movies where it just, whoosh, and it goes to the guy, and then all of a sudden, the camera goes right into his eyes, so we go into a flashback. See, in our, in our culture, when, when somebody is crazy, when somebody has a disorder, we, we always go straight to psychology, and I, and I believe that there are these disorders. I also believe that there are spiritual evil beings in this world today. And in the flashback, we go into this man's eyes, this man who, who in the first scene that we see him from a distance and the camera zooms in, always sees that something is not right. And then in the flashback, we see his life unfold before us. We see him when he was a normal man when he was just a little bit angry, when he was a little bit greedy, when he was a little bit into things he shouldn't have been. He didn't like going and connecting with God. He didn't want to listen to the scrolls being read. And then he opened his life up. He opened his life up to anger. He opened his life up to rage. He opened his life up to evil. And in this flashback, we see him going from a man who was just an angry man, and he became someone who didn't like God. And then he became someone who said, I want something more with my life. And he became twisted. And I don't know when it happened. I don't know what the timeline is. We don't have that in the Bible. But what we do know is that at some point, evil spirits, demonic spirits entered into him. They always are looking for someone to take over or torment. And if you look at what happened with this man, it says in verse 3 that he lived among tombs. He was a man dying, living amongst the dead. Demons and evil always want to destroy life. They come to kill, steal, and destroy and that's what they were doing with this man. It says that nobody could contain him. And it's showing this progression. The, the camera scene goes from when he was standing upright and just a regular businessman to when he opened his life up to these evils to when he finally got so violent that the townspeople said, we've got to kick him out. And in this flashback, we see townspeople coming at him with ropes. And they rope him down like an animal. And they drag him out to the tombs. And they say, stay here. But then he goes back in and he torments the town. So next time they rope him up and they chain him. But no chain can hold him. He breaks shackles and gets free. And because demons always want to bring harm and rob life, we have a picture now as the camera comes back to the present moment. And the man comes down. He's no longer standing tall. He is weary and tattered. His hair is in patches because he's been ripping it from his head. He's been cutting himself with rocks. 
There are bruises where he's broken shackle after shackle from his hands. And he no longer walks as a man, but more like an animal and comes running down the hill, screaming toward Jesus. The shell of a man. And he runs down crying out. Now, I don't know if you've watched those exorcism movies, and I don't even know, I don't think they're accurate, but I do know that this man has many demons in him, a legion of demons in him. So I don't know what his voice sounded like. I don't know if there was this voice on top of voice thing going on, but he cried out, and he calls God the Son. He says, he says, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? See, demons know. Demons believe They don't have saving faith, but they believe. For those of you who don't know or maybe aren't aware, there was once a chief angel named Lucifer. We call him Satan, the accuser, Satan, the devil. And he wanted to no longer be a servant of God. He wanted to be God. And when he rose against God, God cast him down, and one-third of the angels went with him. Those fallen angels we now call demons. Demons know Jesus is. Demons know that Jesus has power. Demons had twisted this man. All you could see of him was what was a man with, with cuts and mud and dirt caked onto him. Nothing was right about him. And he said, what are you doing here, son of the most high? I can't imagine what the disciples were thinking. The disciples had just seen Jesus that night say over the things of nature, I have power over you, nature. Waves, be quiet. But now this isn't nature. This isn't wind. This isn't, a, this isn't a storm. This is a man who is clearly possessed. This is a man with shackles clinging from him. This is a man who's cutting himself. Jesus says, what is your name? What is your name? And the possessed man says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then this, this demon says, please don't send us out of the country. You see, evil, evil beings, sinful things, they want to attach. They always attach. We think of evil as this ethereal in the cloud sort of experience where it's like there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. Evil, in the same way that Jesus is a person, there are beings that are evil. Beings whose sole purpose is to detract, to subtract from your life. And they will latch on to a location. They will latch on to a person. They will latch on to a situation. And before you think it, I'm going to think it out loud for you. Just because it's your boss doesn't mean they're a demon. Evil beings have spent thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands and ten thousands and hundred thousands of years plotting how to subtract from eternal life. They want to take how God created life and, and retract, subtract from it. They want to get you away from it. God wants you to be the most joy-filled, faith-filled, love-filled being that you can be 5,000 years from now. Legion had tormented this man, and they said, don't send us out of the country. Send us into the pigs. To Jewish people, pigs were unclean. So Jesus was hearing an unclean group of spirits say, send us into these unclean animals. Now, I don't know what your 
beliefs are about angels and demons and evil and darkness and goodness. But I, I will tell you this, that all of us in church life, we, we use this word called sin. And we tend so often to see it as sin is a bad thing just because. And if you're a parent like I am, you sometimes just have to say that. Why, Daddy? Why? Because I said so. But it, with God, it is not the case. Sin isn't sin just because. Sin is sin because it takes us away from God. The sole purpose of these demonic beings in the life of this man are to draw him from a man who is known by God, connected to God, to a man who is distant from God and destroying himself, mind, body, and soul. This man had not rested. It said night and day. He was screaming, and now the demons who have been controlling him say, please send us into the pigs. And going back to our movie scene, it's like that moment, and we, we've seen it all. If you guys have watched any action movies, you know that scene where someone is released from something, where their arms go out, and there's like a loud in the background, like, and it's slow-mo camera. Jesus says, go to the pigs. And I, I see in my mind this man who is, who is gnarled and, and his body is contorted because he's been broken and bloodied and bruised. And all of a sudden, Jesus sends out the legion. A legion could have been anywhere between five and 10,000. It's how many soldiers it were referred to. So presumably it's how many demonic beings had crammed into this man's flesh. And in that moment, there's freedom. And the camera goes around him. And, and in my mind, I always see it like when darkness leaves, you can always see something. You could see a shadow just fleeing out of the man's body. And then in an instant, he had been tormented for months and months, if not years and years. The, the evil leaves him, and they go into the pigs, and the man just collapses. And all eyes are on this man, and all eyes are on Jesus, and the disciples are right behind him because they're terrified. Peter is usually the one right behind Jesus, just looking over his shoulder, thinking, is it all right? Doubting Thomas is behind him, still doubting it all. And Judas is over there looking. Can we make money off of this guy? What's going on over here? What is this? And as they're looking at the man, now collapsed on the floor, looking like he's in a position of just total exhaustion, they hear squeals coming off in the hills. And the herdsmen that are there just outside the tomb, these are herdsmen that had seen this man, knew this man, they had known his screams, they had tried to bind him up to keep him out of their herds before. And they hear the squeal of pigs, the rumble. And all of the pigs, the herd of pigs that these demons went into, it says that they ran down the hill and they killed themselves. Now, if you're a Jewish person, it's not too sad. But if you're an American, that is a tragedy. It is the great bacon apocalypse of two zero. <laughs> and, and if you're... If you're, if you're one of these herdsmen, if that's your life, I mean, let me put it in a different way. It's like the IRS swooped into your bank account and said, mine. That's what just happened to the herdsmen. And some of you are like, that's what the IRS says every April. That's how they felt. They took it all. They took their retirement. They took their wages. They took what they were going to make money to get food the next day. And the herdsmen, these guys who had seen it all, they, they knew who the man was. They knew that the crazy person they had put in the place of the dead, in the tombs, they knew who he was. They had bound him up before they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus with their friends. They were like, somebody, 
something happened to our pigs, you guys. We were there. We were doing our normal thing. We were just outside the tombs, but then they just ran into the lake and they killed themselves. It has something to do with the demon-possessed man. I know it. I saw him down there with somebody. There was a boat that came across the sea last night in that big storm. I don't know how they made it, but they're there. And I saw them, and the demon-possessed man, he wasn't, he wasn't walking around and screaming in rage anymore. He was just sitting with them. Let's go see what's going on. So like all good mobs, they go down there, and they want to see what is happening. For months he had been naked. For months he had been bruised. For months he had been bloodied. And we enter in this part of the story where the men come down to, to see, because that's what we are. We are a culture of people who like to just look and see. And when they get there, they see that the man is no longer uncovered, but somebody has covered him. When they get there, they, they no longer see a man who is enraged and lashing out to harm others. When they get there, they see a group of 12 guys standing behind one. And Jesus isn't just isn't just there looking at him from afar. Jesus had taken off his outer cloak and he'd put it around the man. And for the first time, if months, if not years, somebody had placed their hand on the man not to harm him, but to help him. When evil gets a hold of us, too many of us run from the person of Jesus. Because we have these principles in religion that say, if you've done this, how could God possibly love you? If you've gone this far, if you have this addiction, if you've looked at these things, if you've allowed evil to deteriorate in your life, if, you, if you've allowed a pocket of hell to creep in and begin to disintegrate a piece of your soul, how could you possibly go to church? Wouldn't God know? Wouldn't God strike you down? We know what God would do. He would look at you with all of your cuts and bruises, all of your brokenness, all of the dirt and grime, and he would take off his own cloak and put it around you. In this scene, you can see the people from the surrounding towns that are there now, and they're looking at him. They're talking amongst themselves like people did before Twitter existed. They're saying, can you believe that? That's the guy. That's the guy. We chained him. We beat him up. We threw him down. He's crazy. That guy's crazy. And the disciples are on the other side thinking, okay, guys, Jesus just told the wind to shut up last night, and now he cast a bunch of demons into pigs, and they all died. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And Jesus is there with the man. See, if you miss the person and you're all about the principles. You can only know so much. Some of you don't know what it would be like to have the, the love of God so tender and so deep that, that no matter what evil you have done, no, ma no matter what evil is in you or around you or in your past or in your present, some of you have no concept of a person that could love you through that. Because you look at Jesus like faraway principles of what to do and what not to do. When Jesus is a principle and not a person, it changes everything. I can, look at, I can look at Don right here. And from a distance, I say, okay. Likes Christmas colors during this season. Gray hair. He's smiling. I know Don can throw a football because I caught one throw by him before. Uh, he's got a daughter who's a teenager, so he's angry all the time. <laughs> I can learn all this from a distance. But you know what I can't tell you about Don right now? I can't tell you what he smells like. I can't tell you 
I can't tell you if he's strong or weak. You know, as, as men, we're like, oh, I'm strong. Well, we know some of us aren't. I mean, obviously, some of us are the model of masculinity. My nickname is Twisted Steel and Sex Appeal. But Don, I don't know what he is. But if I get closer to Don, I say, Don, stand up, Don. Stand up, man. Give me a hug, heart to heart. This is my new way of hugging guys. You go heart to heart. Make it awkward. Don't let go yet. Don't, let, don't pat me like it's uh, awkward. This is, gonna be, this is gonna get awkward. Now I know that Don smells average. Now I know that he's strong. He's, his back feels like a, like a cinder block. Yeah. He's got no love handles. Okay. I just got much closer to Don than any one of us would like to care to. But have you ever felt that close to Jesus? No matter what you've done. Because if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times and more. You don't understand. I, I can't go to church. I've heard the jokes. If I walk into your church building, God's going to strike the place with lightning. To which I always reply, God has great aim. He can just take you out and leave the building. Well, you don't know, man. If I come to church, dude, what if I cuss? I'm like, then you come into my Bible study. We have all the foul-mouthed people in mind. Well, you don't understand, man. I'm, I, I drink too much. I'm addicted to this. Man. I, love, I, I, I love just living life on my own. I want to have sex with who I want to have sex with. I'm going to look at pornography. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to smoke that. I'm going to do what I want. Would God still accept me? You know what God will do? Maybe he'll just show you that those things you think are setting you free are actually slowly disintegrating your life. And maybe he'll take his cloak and put it around you and say, hey, it's going to be okay. I'm bringing you a freedom you've never had. I'm giving you a power you've never experienced. You thought you were powerful because you had demons in you and you could break chains. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, my spirit in you, the same spirit that can create something from nothing, the same spirit that can raise the dead to life, the same spirit that can heal the blind and give them sight. I'm giving that spirit to you. The demon-possessed, formerly demon-possessed man sitting on his rock, now with the cloak of God around him, literally, says, Jesus, I, I got to go with you. I, I don't know what I'm going to do without you. Because he had encountered Jesus, the person. And it didn't matter how messy he was for the first time in his life, in the midst of his messiest moment, somebody embraced him. Somebody, somebody reached out to him. You know, that, you know that moment your first kid has their first big fall, maybe on their first bike, and they get bloodied up? Like, I'm not talking about the little scrape. Like when they just fall on that bike the first time and they come in, there's blood dripping down their legs. And there's blood on their elbow. What does a good father do? They look at their kid and they say, stop being a baby. No, I'm just kidding. They'd hit That's bad father. If it's a little scrape. But for that first fall, and I remember this with all my kids, like when they get really, really hurt, not the fake hurt, you pick them up. And it doesn't matter if they're bleeding on you. It doesn't matter if they're, they're crying on you. Because as a father in that moment, especially if you're like a new parent or if you're like a couple in here and you're like, oh, we're going to have kids one day. It's going to be so cute. It is cute, but it's also messy. Because there's that moment where you pick up your first kid after they've fallen, maybe because of their own stupidity of climbing something they shouldn't have climbed, and they're crying on you. And you get the, all parents know this, the snot shoulder. And, and when you're, you go to wash your clothes, you have like a blood stain 
on your hip, and you're like, how did that get there? Oh, yeah, my kid was bleeding on me while he was snotting on me, while they were crying on me, while they were getting their mud on me. But in that moment, as a parent, you don't care. He said, I don't care. I'm here for you. Jesus was here for this guy. Some of you don't, don't even know, can't fathom. Like, what does that mean? Could Jesus be that much in love with me, even though his body is not here? He's not present with me? Well, guess what the Bible calls us? The Bible calls the church, not this building. People have been getting in the habit again of calling this the church. This is not the church. We are the church. The Bible calls us the body of Christ. We carry the presence of Christ in us. So when someone's having a, a bad day and you reach out, Put your hand on them and say, hey, God's going to be here for you today. God's going to be here for your family today. God's got this with your kids today. Get, we are the body of Christ. His presence is within us. Now, I'm not saying that, that you can be Jesus. Don't go walk on water if you don't know how to swim. What I am saying is that together, the love that we can show one another can begin to change the lives of people. can be a tangible expression of God's love in the lives of people. But something terrifying happens to this man. I think it's one of the most terrifying things that Jesus says to somebody in the Bible. There is the one that says, you are a brood of vipers. That's really bad. But this one is scary for followers of Jesus. Because this man, this, this formerly demon-possessed man is begging, let me go with you. You've changed my life. You've touched my life. You've let me in. I've never been so open to anybody because you know me and you love me. And Jesus says, you cannot come with me. That's not the Sunday school story we tell the kids in the back. Jesus says no. I mean, some churches say that about everything. Jesus says no sex, no dancing, no rock and roll. We're here. Jesus says sex in marriage, dance a lot. And rock and roll is the Lord's music. Jesus said, you can't come with me. Imagine the, the sinking heart feeling. Wait a second but you just changed my life, but you can't come with me. What will I do? Jesus gives him the most terrifying mission that I think any of us could have. He says, go home and tell people. Tell people what the Lord has done for you. Go home? Those are the people that chain me. Those are the people that think I'm crazy. Those are the people who are going to say, what are you doing here? Get them back in the tombs. Throw them back in the... No, Jesus, I can't. Please, please, anything. If you throw me back to them, I'm going to end up right back here in the place. No, you won't. You're going to go back. Those spirits can't come back in you because I put my spirit in you. And you don't have to go back and tell them all this PhD level of knowledge. Just go tell them what I have done for you. Too often in Christianity, we think that this is a, a big complex thing. Like, oh man, i got to be an evangelist. i got to know the four spiritual laws. i got to know the Romans road. How do I lead people to Jesus? I need to memorize 100,000 verses. And then by the time we memorize it all, we realize that we've lost all of our friends who don't know Jesus because we're hanging out with a bunch of Christians. Some of us think you need to be the greatest apologist and have every defense for every answer. You need to be able to answer where do people go if they die and they never hear of Jesus? How does evil exist? Does God love us? Is he powerful? You don't need to know those. It's good. Some of us should know those. We have plenty of nerdy people here. What you need to do is tell people about the evil that, that God has saved you from. Has the Lord reached into your life and taken something that was subtracting from your life and given you his eternal life? When the Bible says that we get eternal life, it's not just talking about a longevity. 
It's also talking about equality. Evil, Satan, sin, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. When God comes, he wants to build, to nourish, so that your life can flourish, to be what you were created to be. This man is told to go home and just share that. And that's probably a pretty cool testimony. Some of you who grew up in the church are like, I don't have a testimony. Because you've heard Testimony Tim, who we always joke about. Testimony Tim is the guy who was in jail for murder and grand theft auto. And you've been to that church, usually a conservative church full of people who have never stolen a stick of gum. And they bring in Testimony Tim, who's like, I killed three men in the 80s, stole 17 cars in the 90s. I used to have breakfast. It was cocoa puffs and rum every morning. And then Jesus saved me. And my life has been glorious, and I've never cursed a day since. And then as Tim is leaving, wings sprout from his back, and he flutters off stage like a myth of perfection. How about this testimony? What has God saved you from that's broken? Some of you are like, well, I don't want to tell people. Tell them what? That you're a liar? Anyone here told a lie? Okay, there you go. A room full of liars minus two liars that didn't raise their hand. Uh, so we're all liars. Anyone here stole anything before? Stole anything? If your neighbor raises your hand, check your wallet before you get up. Any of, any of you guys, men, looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Don't raise your hand, you fools. <laughs> the Bible calls us adulterer. So, it, but here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. You, you can be free before Jesus, and then nobody can say anything to you. What are they going to do to you when you've laid all your junk out and you said, this is what I was, and this is who God is, and this is how he reached in and ripped the hell out of me? They're going to say, wow. You, you know what happens? Every time, every time I go somewhere where there's not church people, I, I don't know why this boggles people, but they say, they find out I'm a pastor, and I try to keep it undercover, and then somebody blows my cover. Jared, Erica, somebody at the brewery says, oh, this is my pastor. And I'm like, shh. Now they're going to treat me different, like Testimony Tim. And I, and I say, they say, I never would have thought you were a pastor. I say, why? Because you're drinking a beer. I said, Jesus made beer. Wine, it's, a, you know, semantics. Jesus made us, loves us, wants to come alongside us. And remind us that when we even doubt ourselves, that we think we're not worthy, we're not good enough, that he says, you're mine. And after Jesus is around you and in you and has become your person, your person, anytime that voice tries to chirp back in your ear that says, who are you even to be a Christian? Who are you even to, to preach or to lead music or to run tech or to teach kids? Who are you to do that? I am someone who has been covered with Jesus' cloak. See, evil has no power against Jesus. I don't think we need to be uh, the Pentecostally type people. You know, if you get a flat tire, it's probably not a demon. It's probably the fact that you should have got your tires rotated every 10,000 miles. If your engine blows up, did you check your oil? It's not a demon in your engine. I don't want to say that. It could be. 
a demon in your engine, especially if you drive a Ford. But, but, do you trust that God is powerful enough to where when things happen, you don't have to get frantic or fanatic. You just say, Jesus, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I feel like something's trying to drag me away from you. I feel like something's trying to lure me to hell. I feel like whatever it is, it's, it's a billboard here, it's a pop-up website here, it's, it's getting too, too much alcohol here, eating too much food for this holiday, whatever it is, Lord, I need help. I'm getting tempted. I feel like life is trying to get sucked away from me. Help. Come on, Jesus. And every time he'll say, I got you. I'm right here. You, you fall back into the tombs, I'll come get you again. I'm going to give you my power. You just got to trust me. Go where I tell you to go. Say what I tell you to say. You don't have to do anything other than that. You're mine. Do you know the person? Is Jesus your person? Because he's the only way that I've ever found or seen that can change someone's life and give you strength when you have none, give you hope when you're hopeless, give you endurance when you feel like you could not take another step. He's the only one that I know that can take a man whose life is wrecked by pure evil and lift him up on a rock and say, I got a plan for you, homie. Let's pray. Father, so many of us here, I think, I fear, Lord, have been staring at the principles, the God principles, the Jesus principles, the Christian principles. And Lord, you know that I love principles, but I love you more, and we need you more. Lord, we need, we need to encounter you, God. Those here who are struggling with sickness and illness and diseases, Lord, they need you to show up in their lives in supernatural ways, healing ways, miraculous ways. God, those who are here who are struggling in their relationships, whether with a spouse or their children or their coworkers, where, where hell and evil have broken in and caused division and pain and abandonment, Lord, they need you to come alongside them. And Lord, you have ordained it so that we would be your body. So God, open our eyes so that we can be the body of Christ and help one another through the difficult seasons. And Lord, let it all be for you. Let it all be about you. And let it all be by your power. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen.